We're doing a series on the life of Moses. And last week we looked at uh, the crossing of the Red Sea, which we saw was also an illustration of baptism. And last Sunday we had three of our uh, people baptised. We were going to do it in the lake and have a picnic as well, but the weather wasn't very good, so we were in our little pool over there. You know, you would think that once the uh, Israelites were out of the land of Egypt, that they would be so pleased to be free from slavery, that they would be rejoicing and ecstatic and really excited. But you know, they complained about everything. They complained about the journey, their food, their leaders, the lack of water in the desert. Even though they'd seen God's awesome provision for them, when those plagues fell on the people of Egypt, when their own oldest sons were spared, when the angel of death moved over the city. And then God gave them a pillar of fire to guide them and a cloud to protect them from the sun. He also gave them quail to eat, a bird, and manna which came on the ground every morning that was like bread. But they were desperately unhappy. When Moses went up Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, they made an idol. They made a golden calf. And they refused to trust in the power and the love of God. Many of them wanted to return back to Egypt. And this unbelief angered God. Egypt typifies the ways of the world as we know it. The lures and lusts of the world. It's shame, slavery and sorrow. And today, as in every generation, Christians are tempted to return to Egypt. Just as gravity pulls things towards the center, spiritual gravity will pull us downward. As we grow upward in Christ, we can overcome these downward forces. There is this inertia that wants to pull you in the way of the world. And that's why it's important that you come here on a Sunday morning, the first day of the week, and you honour God, and you worship God, and you receive spiritual food to keep you robust and strong. And that you will find that if you drift away from fellowship with God's family, then you tend to go gradually in the direction of the world. You know, a helium balloon will rise up and it will keep on rising until the air pressure changes and then it will start to sink. And as the pressure drops in that balloon, it will sink back to earth. And it's the same with us. We may have had a religious experience. We may have had an amazing encounter with God. But then after a while, we start to descend, the euphoria goes and we need the disciplines of regular prayer and fellowship to keep closely connected to the Lord. In Exodus 14 verses 11 and 12, the people said, What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? 
Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Have you ever complained about your life situation or the place where you're living? You think, I'd rather be back where I used to be. And this was the case with the Israelites. It was more a matter of getting out of Egypt, getting Egypt out of the people than getting them out of Egypt. Even though they were out of the land of Egypt, Egypt had taken over their minds. They were thinking about Egyptian gods. They were thinking about the reliability of food and the diversity of food. And they couldn't separate their culture from their new situation. And we all have a family culture, don't we? We grow up in a family where there's different rules and regulations and ways of behaving. And when we get married, we have to form a new family culture. And sometimes the way we're used to doing things are different to the way our wife might do it. And so we get a merger of two family cultures. And so here for 400 years, they'd been living in Egypt. And they were probably more Egyptian than they were Israelite at that time. And in Psalm 106 verse 23, it says... So God declared that he would destroy them. But Moses, his chosen, sorry, chosen one, stepped between the Lord and the people. He begged him to turn from his anger and not destroy them. God said to Moses, I'm fed up with these people. I'm going to destroy them. Moses could have given up at any time. You know, when you're in a negative, critical environment, you feel depressed. It drags you down. And here is Moses. He's surrounded by these people moaning and complaining all the time. I had someone come up to me a few weeks ago and he says, you know, I'm not hearing a lot of criticism at church these days. There used to be a lot, but people seem to be a lot happier. If you are in a situation where you are surrounded by negativity and criticism, it will ultimately pull you down. But Moses accepted God's call in spite of the difficult conditions. And God has put each of us where we are for a reason. You may have to live with your extended family in cramped conditions. God may have sent you into a frustrating place to teach you something or so that you can help someone else. But pray that God's presence becomes more precious to you than your external circumstances. You know, when Moses brought them the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, the people cheered. But they became very religious and they still inwardly grumbled and resisted what God was doing. Their hearts were not changed by the Ten Commandments. There was a refusal to be thankful and to overcome the spiritual giants in their lives. You know, it's the same with us. When we take offense, a desire for retaliation stirs up in our hearts. And we form a relationship with a spirit of bitterness 
that wants to possess us. In the same way, when we spend time with the Lord, it produces God's desires within us. It's been said that the longer we murmur and complain, the longer we will stay in a desert place. And Psalm 68 verse 6 says, The rebellious shall live in a dry land. And so God threatened to remove his presence from the people. And in Exodus 33 verses 1 and 3, he said, Depart and move on from here. But I will not go with you, for you are a stiff-necked people. A stiff-necked person is someone that isn't flexible. They're not prepared to change their mind. And Moses replied in Exodus 33, verses 15 and 16, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and your people if you don't go with us, for your presence among us sets your people apart from all the other people on the earth. And we heard an allusion to that with regard to the Jewish people today. They were God's special people, and they've had God's presence and God's favor in the past. But Moses was saying, look, we're known to be your people. If you leave us, what else have we got? Can you say that God's presence in your life is what sets you apart? Do you cultivate a close relationship with the Lord? A pure, obedient heart? Do you avoid places and situations that would cause God's presence to lift off you? Because God won't walk with someone who is self-seeking or someone with impure or rebellious thoughts. We can learn to walk in the Spirit and to take God's Spirit with us into every situation we encounter. And so Moses was a good leader. He knew what was required to lead those people. He knew all about strategy, goals, tactics, and the importance of morale. And many of us may be successful in life. We may be successful in setting financial goals. But how are you going with your spiritual goals and the goals for your family? Because faith without clear goals is not faith. If we aim at nothing, we'll hit nothing. And so Moses soon found that he couldn't cope with all the needs of the people. He was struggling with burnout and suffered from depression and despair. And in Numbers 11 verse 14 and 15, this is what he said. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me from this misery. Have you ever been burnt out? If you're surrounded by negativity, if you're doing more than you should, if you're in deficit and you stay in that place for too long, 
you will suffer burnout. Even Moses, David, Elijah, great men of God, when they encountered too much, it burnt them out. And they struggled to continue. Moses would sit before the people all day, listening to their disputes, their moaning and complaining, and judging their cases. And then his father-in-law Jethro realised that what he was doing was way too much. And in Exodus 18 verses 14 to 16 it says, When Jethro saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? While all these people stand around you from morning until evening. Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. And then Jethro asked Moses two questions. The first one was, what are you doing? And it's important to examine what we're doing and who is benefiting from what we are doing. And then to ask a second question. Why are you doing all this all by yourself? Any leader who says, if I want it done, I just have to do it myself, is a very poor leader. A leader who knows his real purpose will never try to do everything himself. But ego and fear can make a person think that they're indispensable. And so it's important to recognize our own capacities and capabilities and to learn how to delegate. Moses' father-in-law then said, what you are doing is not good. Moses was acting like a politician. He wanted to please everybody. But leadership is not for people who want to be liked. It's for people who want to succeed. Those who try to earn everyone's approval lose because they don't make the tough calls. They surrender their leadership by default to those who bully and those who intimidate them. Leaders have to make tough decisions to successfully achieve their vision and their purpose. And so Moses reconsidered his leadership. Good leaders are teachable and open to change. Do you recognize your limitations and utilize the expertise of other people around you? Then Jethro said in verses 18 and 20, you and these people who come to you will only wear themselves out, yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. So Jethro told Moses to restrict himself to leadership tasks and to involve other people in doing the rest. If people knew what the laws were, 
then they wouldn't have to come to Moses all the time and get him to interpret the laws. And so leadership involves speaking out and trusting your God-given vision and insights. Jesus taught with authority, and his wisdom changed the values of the world. And he entrusted his disciples with his godly wisdom and told them to share that wisdom with everyone in the world. And so Jethro told Moses to teach the people God's commands, to explain to them how to live, and to demonstrate what they should do. Jesus comes into our lives and takes up residence in our spirit. Just imagine an old, abandoned homestead or farmhouse out in the country. It's been empty for a long time. It's got holes in the roof and the walls, the floor. It's full of spiders, rodents, rats, mice, birds. There's holes in the roof. The water's got in. But someone sees that house and feels that they could make that house livable again. They focus on the could be rather than its present run-down condition. You know, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Our physical body is like the outside of a house. Our soul is like the inside of a house. And our spirit is where the Holy Spirit desires to live. Jesus saw what we could be if he was to move into our lives and take control of our temple. And we can invite him to come and to clean up our lives. And he will bring with him every tool and resource necessary to do the job. Painting over rotting wood doesn't convince people that we've got it all together. You might have an anger problem and you try, to, you try harder but you bottle it up. One day you explode because you haven't dealt with the problem properly. Our thought life is so powerful that it determines our physical, mental and spiritual condition. Allowing Christ to transform our thought life enables him to reconstruct our souls. So Jethro explained to Moses that he could avoid burnout by delegating authority. And in Exodus 18, 21 to 22, he gave this wonderful advice. Select capable men from all the people. Men who love the Lord and fear him. Jethro told him, Jethro told him, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. We can become so caught up in our problems that we lose sight of our real purpose under God. Too often, the important makes way to the, for the urgent. 
and nothing significant ever gets done. Problems can consume our minds and sap our strengths. If Moses continued to handle all of the problems, he would never lead those people toward Canaan. As a church follows a godly vision, more people get involved and the work gets done. Moses was a great leader, but leadership is not to be a lonely, wearying task. It's impossible for a church this size to effectively minister to all the needs of the people, solely through our ministry staff and our Sunday morning worship service. And that's the reason why we have small groups, where a leader can be responsible for a group of 6 to 20 people. A small group leader is an under-shepherd. And small groups provide an environment for all types of ministry. Bible study, praying for the sick, sharing personal needs and problems, growing in relationship with people, intentionally reaching out to other people and inviting them, and seeing growth in each other's eyes. And if someone doesn't turn up to your group for a couple of weeks, then they're noticed. And so you ring them because they're part of your group, they're part of your family and you care about them and you want to make sure that they are okay. Imagine if 15 people decided to do up an old dilapidated house, the transformation that would take place with all of them contributing and doing what they're good at to make that house look good again. But imagine if that house was taken over by the wrong people, became a P-lab. People that are on meth, they like darkness and they block off the windows and they just um, take drugs and sit in the darkness and hallucinate most of the time. There are many home groups, prayer groups and Bible study groups in this church, but there needs to be more. There are mature believers who have been attending a small group for many years Maybe it's time to step up into leadership. Hebrews 12, uh, 5 verses 12 and 14 says, You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. Solid food is for those who are mature and through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. We need discerning, capable, gifted people like Moses' leaders to step up in this church. And I'm keen to train people up to be small group leaders. Each week I provide discussion questions based on the Sunday sermon. So if any small group wants to revisit what we've talked about on a Sunday with good discussion questions, then it's all done for you. We can make a lasting impact on our own family when they see us ministering to people who need help and encouragement. The Bible says if we're faithful with little... He will trust us with much. You know, the people I know who are the most fruitful in ministry, they all started off with a small group. 
And God has blessed them and grown them through that obedience. And so when a group reaches 20, it divides. Some might say multiplies. And an, another person in that group who has shown a leadership gifting and gets on well with the people in the group can become a leader of half of those people. Someone who's got leadership gifts, pastoral skills, communication skills. Ministry gifts develop much more quickly when they're put into action. I um, watched a, te a TED talk the other day. And it was basically about what you need to do, the 10 most important things that you can do that will enable you to grow to be 100 years old, live to be 100 years old. And I looked at the list of 10 things. And down at number seven was physical exercise. Not smoking was about number five. But top two things, the top two causes of long life were a supportive friendship group, be it your family or be it your friends. People who will encourage you and help you through the difficulties of life. And the number one was an ability to engage in conversation with strangers. When you go through your life, do you talk to the person at the checkout or the person at the swimming pool? Do you make conversation? Are you developing social skills? Because that's a sign that you're healthy emotionally and it's a skill we all need to develop. That's what happens in a small group. You get a bunch of people around you that can help you when things get tough. But also you have people to talk to that will lift you out of your own difficult situations in life. On um, Tuesday, the 5th of March, here at the church at 5.30pm, I am inviting all our small group leaders to a meeting for the start of this year. And I want each of the small group leaders to spend two minutes telling us what you do in your group. And if you are not a small group leader, but you would like to be a small group leader, you are welcome to come to that meeting as well. If there's a part of town, even like Kinloch, where there's no small group, and you want to get one under, underway, in the past I've helped new groups get established. I'll come along for the first three or four weeks and lead it, and then I'll go off and start another group somewhere else. And then the, that group can continue. But um, seriously, we all need to be part of a small group. Because seriously, I can't cope with the pastoral needs and care of everyone in this church. But if you're in a small group, and your small group are praying for you and advising you and helping you, and you, you can't seem to get any forward headway, I'd love to see you. But my first question to you will be, should be, are you in a small group? Do you have some people around you that are caring for you? Let's pray. Lord, we are a community. We're a family. But Lord, a group this size, it's impossible to know 
everyone really well. We can only really share deeply with people that we trust. And so, Lord, help us to step out of our comfort zone and put us in a group where we can be planted, where we can give out, where we can share, but also we can receive. Lord, we want to be a healthy church, and we want to train up leaders. We want to see people grow up to fulfill their destiny in you. And, Lord, you know and we know that the hothouse for that sort of growth is in a small group. So, Lord, I just pray that you'll speak to each of us this morning and encourage us to visit a few groups until we find a group that suits who we are and what we're wanting to achieve. Lord, we know that it's so easy to be stagnant, but if we have vision and purpose, you will go with us and we will help others. So, Lord, we just commit this need to you now. In Jesus' name.